Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke, and I'm here with Bishop Todd Hunter again. How are you today, Todd? What's up, Ben? Nice to see you. I wish Good everybody to see could you see well. you in your, your, your <laughs> manly workout here. You're looking yeah. there. Yeah. Well, I, I try to impress. Uh, we, we do these recordings over a video call so we can all see each other. It makes for better conversations. But so I've, you're trying to I prove just came that literally. you're working out? That's right. Yeah, it's all virtue signaling for me. I don't actually work <laughs> yeah. out. I just wear headbands and sweaty yeah. t-shirts when I'm on yeah, a Zoom call. Anyway, um, well, uh, it's good to see uh, Todd as well. And we've got a guest today who I'll introduce here in just a second. We are in the middle of a series um, that's following our C4SO Reads for Lent. Um, the book that we are reading for Lent is Prophetic Lament by Soong Chan Ra. Uh, this is something that our Revelation 7-9 Task Force for Racial Diversity and Inclusion has organized for our diocese and, of course, anyone else who wants to follow along. So today we're continuing that journey with a conversation with the Reverend Jin Cho, who will be sharing some reflections from the fourth part of this book, Lamentations 4. Uh, welcome to the C4SO podcast, Jin. Hey, thanks, Ben. Thanks, Bishop. It's good to see you. Yeah, great um, to have you, Jin. Jin, just for people who may not be familiar with you, um, can you give a little introduction? What, uh, who, where you live, you know, family, yeah, uh, what you get up to in terms of ministry and life, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, uh, I am out here in Southern California, and one of the things that I've been saying to people is, uh, I've learned this season to not complain about Southern California weather. Yeah, uh, I yeah. found it no, really annoying. No <laughs> So uh, I've been out here in Southern California, but I'm a New Yorker. I grew up in New York, and I'm a New York kid at heart. So mm-hmm. uh, there's that. Uh, I've been I'm an Anglican priest, uh, serving and assisting in a church that uh, I stepped into about uh, at this point six years ago, where Bishop Todd was leading in uh, Costa Mesa, oh yeah, and. Uh, Orange County, California, and uh, mm-hmm. I thought I would be there for a visit, never left, and here I am uh, many years later. Um, yeah. I am in the process, at the very nascent stages of um, uh, thinking, doing, uh, imagining about a church plant, so oh, that's, that's that happening. So I'm kind of in that uh, liminal space right now, so... Mm. But I put that word in there to get extra points with people. Yep. Um, yeah. So yeah. that's so that's kind of, in, it's, it's yeah. a real interesting time. Did you yeah, have a totally. bet with somebody that you could use the word liminal in the podcast? Ooh, <laughs> that is that's a good bet. That would have been a good bet. <laughs> that's an impressive word if you can say yeah. liminal. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of lots of those. We should have like a little uh, treasure hunt where it's like there's we a should. certain like trendy Christian words. And if you use them in the podcast, you yes. get bonus points or there's a yeah. prize at the end yeah. of the year. I don't really know. Yeah, get an Amazon <laughs> gift card or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, well, Jen, it's great to have you. Um, you're talking about, you know, the very beginning stages of a church plant um, does give me, we talked with Sandy Richter, who's at uh, a different stage of planting a church. And it does, does give me an idea. I'll tease this as an idea for a future series that maybe we talk with various church planters throughout the, the process, right, um, of church planting to kind of give a feel for 
what things are like in various stages of, of planting a church. So, but if you do, uh, I'm also hearing you say, Hey, if you live in Southern California and you're interested in an Anglican church plant, come see gin. Yeah. <laughs> are you recruiting? Uh, anyway, uh we, yeah. we, we don't even, uh, you know, the snowball hasn't even formed yet. So okay. we're, we're, right. you can't even, uh, put other, There's nothing even. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, we got, we got just a little, a few flakes coming. <laughs> good, good. Yes. All right. Um, well, good. So, uh, Jin, our topic for today, though, is to focus on the fourth section of this book. It's called Lamentations 4. Um, and uh, you mentioned in your reflection video uh, for this section uh, that readers may feel as they read this section that um, that themes are being repeated, that, okay, I think we got it. Lament is important. Great. You know, check. Can we move on to something else? And that readers or listeners uh, or readers of the book may feel a little bit like... Um, Man, can, can we move on? Can we can we do something else now? And um, and this, of course, mirrors a lot of um, how I feel sometimes uh, this this past year, and how a lot of people that I've talked to, a lot of people in my church, a lot of ways, a lot of the ways that I think we feel about the the racial justice conversation, um, and you know even about the pandemic, right? Is just like, can we move on? Can we talk about something else now? Why do we have to talk about this endlessly? Why why is this persisting so much? And uh, in your reflection video, and which reflects on one of the points that Ra makes in this section, is that it's actually really important in the midst of this to persist in lament. And so I wonder if you can outline a little bit of why it's important to persist in lament and how to persist in lament when we feel tired, when we feel annoyed, maybe even by the persistence of these conversations and the need to lament? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. Um, to get, I mean, I think the first part is very simply that uh, our tendency, and I don't think it's just the American tendency, but particularly American tendency is to move on from lament really quickly, move on mm -hmm. from the difficult feelings, mm -hmm. um, the the sort of the negative feelings of having to dwell on things that are not working sometimes, the yeah. things that we have failed in, things that um, are dysfunctional in our lives, and for us to move on to the solution, move yeah. on to uh, to say, uh, let's get hopeful. And you know, uh, it's become sort of a common thing to say in uh, small groups nowadays because uh, we are aware enough to say, mm. you know, let's not, you don't have to have a happy point at the end, just share mm -hmm. your story. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it is still a, a massive cultural contextual tendency for us to uh, want to move on quickly from lament. Um, yeah. And I know, uh, and I, that's a point that's actually particularly uh, um, important to me in my life because I think around the time that I became an Anglican, right before that was um, sort of a crisis in which um, I found myself, uh, my, I had lost my father and um, finding myself unable to grieve well, mm. uh, wanting to move on or thinking that I have moved on when in fact I clearly didn't in some ways. Mm. And, and these uh, questions and thoughts that were, uh, in hindsight, haunting me almost because mm. I wanted to move on because that's sort of mm. how I approached so many other issues and problems that I had faced. So there's this uh, gigantic tendency in our hearts, in our minds, 
and um and it's also culturally reinforced um yeah especially yeah. stronger in certain circles than others sure. for us to do that and then the other part i think is um it is only when you sit with the story of lament especially if it is not especially if it's not directly yours but mm. even when it is yours that you're be, you're able to empathize in a way mm. that's meaningful i don't i think empathy takes time um <laughs> i think you have to, i think that first thing that you feel is not quite true empathy i think you begin to connect with it resonate with it but i think it requires a deeper time for us to lament uh ra mm. makes this point we persist in lament because um, those who have suffered injustice, those who have suffered pain, persist in hmm. those pains and the, that experiences of injustice. So we can't yeah. move on. So that's the reality too. Hmm. So we are part of this broken world, even though we are people of hope. We do not grieve as those without hope, yet at the same time, um, that hope is not perfected in this world, right? Yeah. So I think it's that tension also. Yeah. Uh, Jen, I think I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying, some themes that are starting to overlap from previous, you know, um, which, which I love because I think it's important for us to continue to revisit um, some of these things. The, the difficulty that we have, the first thing is the difficulty that we have in grieving. And I think there's a lot of, um, we could dive into that if we want, like, but there's a lot of interesting, that's interesting to me that we have such a hard time with it. Um, that it's so difficult for us, like you were just talking about when your father died, it was difficult for you to know or to feel like, uh, have I moved on or maybe I should be moving on and why do I feel, why do I still feel this way? And, you know, a lot of those things, I think we can sometimes think there must be something wrong with me if I feel sad about this, you know, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. feel sad about sad things or I'm not, not able to kind of pick myself up and move on as quickly as I would like. Um, and then the relationship to hope as well is a really interesting one because, I, I, you know, what you said is, you know, sometimes the message is let's get hopeful now. Um, but lament is connected to hope, but it, it, it's connected to hope as a gift that we receive from God in the midst of our lament, rather than a strategy or a plan we implement when we think it's time to do so. Yes, right. Absolutely. We don't. We don't. We don't do hope when we feel tired of being sad. Like hope emerges as we bring our sadness to God yes. in lament and grief. Yeah, it's great. And I love that idea that empathy takes time as well, Jen. I've never really thought about that, but um, but I think that's another reason why we must persist in these things, especially because, especially when what we're lamenting here um, isn't like just a personal tragedy, like you mentioned the death of your father, uh, but it's a, it's a, a, it's a corporate tragedy. It's a, it's yeah. a communal thing. It's something that we're connected to by virtue of where we were born and who our parents were and the history of our country and, you know, all of that kind of thing. And so um, I think that's, I think that's really good. It's really helpful. It's really important. Um, our, uh, one of the things that Ra talks about in this section of the book is that our typical go-tos that we notice, and you mentioned this, like we try to fix the problem. And so our typical go-tos when we notice problems are to try to fix it. And, the, and uh, you mentioned the irony of the fact that the two things we turn to are the two things that are uh, a cause of the problem that results in us needing the lament in the first place. Um, and you mentioned consumerism and wealth. Um, that are tied to our faith in, in a way that um, kind of inoculates us against seeing those systems 
uh, that keep others oppressed. And then our fawning over earthly leaders, our, our attraction or our addiction to sort of wedding ourselves as Christians to worldly power, to politicians who promise us that they're going to keep us safe or they're going to, um, they're going to, you know, do something good for, you know, Christians or something like that, which ties in with our, you know, the Christian nationalism that we see, um, really, uh, coming to the very explicit for uh, nowadays. So um, what would you say, Jen, in terms of, this is a long question, I know, but what would you say in terms of if, if we're not like, if we're not supposed to turn to money or to worldly power uh, to save us, like, what do we, what do we do? Like, what's, uh, wh- what do we do? Like, how, do, how does this actually play out in, in real time? How do we persist in lament? How does that look like? Uh, <laughs> well, um, uh, harder question than even the first one. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Can we? <laughs> um, uh, I, well, I think I wanted, so there was a, um, there's a part of me that wants to um, get there a little bit too quickly, even in answering that question in one sense. Okay. I want to try to stick with Go, what I'm reading and what I'm, uh, what I'm learning through Lamentations 4 and Ra's chapter um, Great. Yeah, chapters, yeah. which is to say, um, how do we shortcut? Mm. There are ways in which because of our impatience, because of our desire to, um, to wait for God's solution, for mm. God's hope to uh, rest and, and, and be given to us as grace, mm. that we create more injustice, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so it's, I'm not there to talk about like, how do we do this as much as like, how do we not do this? Yeah, um, good. Right? Yeah. So it's, uh, at least in this section, yeah. I think the emphasis is so much more on what are the things that we're doing to shortcut um, hmm. the ways in which God's grace uh, lives in us uh, and um, has mercy upon us Mm. Um, and as tenderly cares for us. Yes. Um, and I think that's that's uh, that's a deeply spiritual formation question. That's a deeply yeah. um, um, yeah. confessional question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, part of it is I think for us to all struggle with um, have we have we experienced this and, and kind of just sit with that a little bit and, and uh, begin to kind of talk about ways in which we shortcut this. I, mm. um, you know, shortcuts are, um, it's almost kind of like, that's the first thing that we learn as um, how to be pastors in our world. Sometimes it's <laughs> like, how do we put this into a program? Here's mm-hmm. this deeply spiritual formation thing, but now what can we do to make it into a program so that our yeah. people can learn? Can we do it? Learn it? Can we do it in forty days? Yeah. Can we do it in six weeks? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we? Uh, can we do it in uh, ninety minutes, twelve times? You know. Um, right. And uh, how do we av- avoid those kind of temptations? And how do we recognize that? I think that might be a leadership question for us to ask. Yeah. Um, Well, I think not only is there something in a lot of our psyches and in a lot of our understanding about what Christian spirituality is supposed to feel like, I think, Ben, we've talked about this maybe a couple 
a couple sessions ago or something where there is this sort of intuition that Christianity is supposed to be about joy, you know, especially post Easter yeah. we're after yeah. the resurrection yeah. now, yeah. you know, Paul said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Like, let's get back to joy. So we've talked about that, I think, yeah. but maybe what we haven't talked about, Ben, that I hear uh, Jen pointing out is there's also an institutional version of that. Like the church, churches don't like to be criticized. Mm. And so to do lament, to name what's wrong. Yeah. Not trying to be a jerk, but just trying to be honest. Yeah. To name what's wrong, institutions don't typically like. Like, so if you're trying to name something that's at all systemic or structural or, um, and I don't even mean that in sort of the racist genre. I mean it in just sort of anything, any like a hospital, a school, anything that's structural or systemic um, almost always the institution wants to either push back and say it's not real or can we just hurry up and get past this? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. It um, sort of pushes against the PR instincts yeah. of institutions, mm-hmm. of, of, of saving face, yeah. uh, preserving the structures as they are mm-hmm. without really taking a look at, well, actually, maybe, <laughs> maybe we don't want yeah. to preserve the structures as they are. Maybe we do mm-hmm. need to do some renovation, you know? Hmm. One of the pushbacks that you hear often with people who want to bring up uh, possibly justice issues within um, their own groups, institutions, is uh, in many places people will be supportive of that. But uh, often I hear, and this is a common thread, uh, the question of haven't we done enough? Haven't we been talking about when is enough? When is this enough? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And um, it's as if we think that there is a timeline in which we, if we just get past it, then we already talked about it. Uh, Why isn't this um, uh, adequate? And um, most things, um, most things that require transformation, it just is a life, life's work. Right. So, yeah. yeah, and there's. I also hear in that pushback. Um, I also hear again the 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 impulse to get back to strategies, the things we can control. You know, okay, fine, let's talk about justice, but let's let's do it. You know, one, hey, it's twenty twenty one. We talked about it in twenty twenty. You know, like let's. There's this impulse to instead of giving yourself over to a practice like lament, uh, confession, repentance, like instead of giving yourself over to it and seeing where it leads you. There's this attempt to grab the reins of control again and say, all right, we're going to do that, but it's going to be this long. And then we're going to get back to hopefulness. You know, we're going to, we're going to, everybody's going to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think well, that's. I think we also confuse talking about it with making any real change. <laughs> like, yes. Like, haven't yes. we talked about it enough? I have a, a f- friend in Nashville, um, black uh, pastor in Nashville. Um, and we were having lunch the other day and, and he just told me a, like a real live story of his kids who are in their 20s. He's probably 50, just guessing. Uh, it's just kids, let's say early to mid 20s or something. Um, and they still come home saying, dad, gosh, why this or why that? Yeah. With racial issues. They, oh, yeah. they still come yeah. home saying, yeah. dad, can you believe what happened to me today? Or, yeah. or dad, yeah. even more heartbreaking, you know, saying to their father, who's a pastor, dad, how can, you know, Christians do this? Yeah. So, so to make, so to Jen's point, somebody could say, "Oh, come on! We've been talking about this race issue for years now. Like, yeah. like when when is going to be enough?" Well, it's sort of like talking is the wrong category. Yeah, um, 
it, it'll yeah. be enough when there's actual change. Yeah. And, you know, hearing those stories as well is, you know, part of that is I think the luxury of, you know, predominantly like being predominantly white congregations, you know, mm-hmm. being white uh, people, like part of the privilege of that is that we can, we can shut it off. We can not talk about it if we don't want to, but right. you know, for uh, black people in particular, people of color, um, um, that it's not an option. You have to right. talk about it. You have to think about it. You have to be aware of it, you know, because a lot of times your, your dignity depends on it. Your survival depends on it. Yeah. Um, in a lot of cases. So when I saw the name Richard Twist, do you remember when he says that yeah. Richard was one of his uh, yeah. mentors? Yeah. Oh, I just got the biggest smile on my face because I used to see Richard occasionally. We weren't like bosom buddies, but I would yeah. see him occasionally on the conference circuit where we were yeah. speaking together. And I, this is to me, this is maybe the funniest line I've ever heard at any conference. <laughs> I don't even know the point he was trying to make, but Richard said, you know, the problem with us uh, American Indians, everybody goes, what? Yeah, we just didn't have strong enough immigration policies. <laughs> I don't know why that's like stuck with me for like yeah. 20 years. Every time I think of it, yeah. I just howl in laughter. That it, yep. It's funny. It's coming from him, you know, with his, right. yes. his yes. whole look and vibe. It was hysterical. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things maybe to gather up some of these threads, um, one of the things I'm hearing you, but both of you talk about, is that giving ourselves over to lament, like there, there isn't a timetable necessarily. And persisting in lament is just, it's just a, that's what lament is. It's not something that we can program. It's not something that we can strategize necessarily. It's something we have to give ourselves, it's a spiritual practice. And we give ourselves over to it. And, and maybe the most important part about how to do it is realizing all the ways that we have of short-circuiting it, taking yeah. shortcuts, all the ways we have of interrupting it, that maybe, maybe we don't actually, maybe we know how to do it. Uh, it's just that we know more about how to stop it. And if we can just refrain from stopping it, to use a weird, a weird turn of phrase there, um, then, you know, there's a, there's a discipline of not doing that, that really helps us grow spiritually, right? I just say yeah. like, I'm not going to do. So if I feel annoyed that we have to talk about this again, Instead of reacting to that and trying to shut down the conversation, just notice that you're annoyed yeah. and then yeah. give yourself over to that and ask God to meet you in that and just mm-hmm. confess that. I'm annoyed by this, but here we go. Okay, let's talk. So. That's a great answer to your question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's the game he plays, Jen. I should have warned you. That's funny. <laughs> no, I, I love that summary. No, and um, yeah, I think that's a no, that's. Uh, Right to not do is a legitimate spiritual yeah, practice. Yeah, right yeah. to not short circuit is a legitimate spiritual formation work. Yes. Right? So, because we're allowing God to God to do what only God can do. Right. Yeah. We're trusting. I mean, that's that spiritual formation one hundred and one. Is we're not changing ourselves. We're just we're just uh, getting all the obstacles that we've put in the way of God. Yeah. We're getting those out of the way so that God can actually do his transforming work in us. So, yeah. And I think Suntan Ra gets, uh, sometimes labeled as this activist kind of, mm-hmm. um, a thinker, but at least in this section, he's profoundly let God do the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. not about, he, God is not a respecter of human beings and human powers and values. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be about God's values mm-hmm. and uh, God's timing, and God is the one who does the rescue. Mm. So um, that yeah. is profoundly, <laughs> deeply conservative or deeply traditional. Contemplative. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it, all of those it's things. really good, man. Um, so related to this, I want to ask you this question. Towards the end of your, your reflection video, you talked about the need for pastors and churches to not just denounce racism or, or make a stand against racism that's out there in the world, which mm. those are good things to do. It's good to stand with you know the uh, oppressed and make a statement and that kind of a thing. But the need not just to do that sort of racism out there, we denounce it, but also to confess racism, injustice in here. Um, and that's in our churches, you know, in our bodies, you know, uh, in our, in ourselves, in our systems. Um, can you talk about the difference between those two things? I think sometimes people don't realize that there's a pretty profound difference between denouncing racism out there and then confessing racism in here. Um, maybe talk a little bit about, uh, why that's important and kind of how to, how to do it. Yeah. Well, I came at that, um, that thought from the process of thinking about lament. Mm. Um, what does it look like? And what's, what, what, are we, what are we supposed to be crying over? What are we sad <laughs> over? Um, <laughs> yes, uh, there is a sense in which we ought to be sad about things in the world, even if they're not something of our own direct doing or undoing. Yeah. But how do we, I mean, at least in this section for sure, um, the prophetic work is for us to look into ourselves and say, how are we contributing yeah. to this lamentable situation? Yeah. What are the ways in which we have, um, you know, he talks about the process of even trying to do justice, we create injustice, you know, and, mm. the, you know, there's, a, uh, there's been a lot of thinking about that, about, you know, when helping hurts and all those kind of, yeah. kind of books. Yeah. Um, so there are profound ways in which we, you know, we, we, we step into these times wanting to help. And if we're mature enough, sometimes knowing that it's because it's, it's about us, sometimes we make it about us. Yeah. Um, so uh, making statements sometimes is a great first step. Um, but it has to be, the hard work is not just to denounce it, but then is to look into our own um, systems and, and um, our own ways. I mean, you know, uh, the fact of the matter is Jesus teaches us very fully, very plainly. Um, our first work is to take out the log in our own eye, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's our first work, Um and so before we can say there's brokenness in the world, I think we ought to be always be starting out with confession. Yeah. Um, we do that as part of our liturgy. Right. Um, so I sometimes, so um, I have like a blog post idea that I can't get it past the first paragraph about just why is it so hard for us as people who begin all of our liturgies with confession, where the confession is such an important part of what we do, mm. to together for us to accept that there are 
there's a our corporate confession is not just about a collective individualistic sins. Yes. But also is reflective of the corporate ways in which we sin. Yeah. And we participate yeah. or uh, not participate or, or we participate in the injustice or not participate in the justice making work. So yes. um I think it just it seems to be a very obvious first step that sometimes yeah. we miss. Yeah. Cuz it is always bit, easier to point to something else that you right. see outside. It's more comfortable yeah. to 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 say look look at that thing that's wrong out there, right? Than than it is to say look everyone, what's wrong in here? Uh, it's 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 much easier to do it. Well, I I uh, I vote for you to finish up that blog post. I I'd, I'd love to read it. Um but I, I hear you naming um, that there's a difference, I, I think, in our sort of recognition of injustice and sometimes the, the, the disgust and anger that we feel when we really see what's happening, right? Um, which is, you know, I, I want to be like, that's legitimate, right? That Like we feel our feelings for a reason. And so we feel disgust and we feel anger, but like those emotions just... Uh, if we just grab hold of those emotions and go in that go in that direction, I think there's an othering move we make, right? Mm-hmm. To say like, oh, because we we want to distance ourselves from that which angers us, from that which disgusts us. We want to distance ourselves, and so there's this othering move. But in the confession, I'm hearing you say there's a there's a connecting move that we must yes. make to say, okay, yes, this is this is does make me angry, and this is disgusting. But like, I also have to recognize it lives in me. And so there's a there's a connecting move we make when we confess our sins, when we lament um, our complicity, our connection to our entanglement in these systems of sin that we can't just cleanly say, well, that's not in, that's not in me." Yeah, yeah. And I, I love what you're saying too about like the confession of sin in our liturgy. There's an opportunity every week, <laughs> right? If we're if we're doing a standard Anglican liturgy, there's an there's an opportunity for us to call our people every single week into this. Um, and it's something that we do in our church quite often, where the, we'll give a little preamble to the confession of sin before we say it, because automatically people think in terms of individuals, they think of that as individuals, and so we'll just say like this this is this is part of our response is as we confess these sins, um, just know that part of what we're doing together is confessing our entanglement in systems of sin that, that, that are really difficult to parse out for us. So we don't even realize what we're doing in our participation in these things. But what we can do is we come to God and we confess that we are complicit, we are connected, um, and we don't want to be, and we're asking for God to come and save, do something, you know, have mercy. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, any, any, maybe to wrap this up, uh, Jin, I wonder, I've been asking a lot of our guests in this series, just what has lament looked like for you in this season as you've been reading through the book um, and trying to practice this uh, for yourself um, and for those around you? Um, like, what, what has this looked like for you? Is there any practical, uh, I don't know, practical actions that you've been taking that, that you could share with us? Yeah. Um, so one of the things is that this is actually a question that we've been kind of wrestling with in our um, the little um, uh, church planting imagination um, uh, core that we're trying to, um, mm-hmm. we're calling it a workshop. Um, but just to talk about these things is what does it look like for us to not have that 
what does it look like for us to have worship and it's not um, neat and resolved, mm. but mm. for us to stay with this? What does it look mm. like for us to do this? Um, I think it starts with honesty and vulnerability. And mm-hmm. um, it's been, um, you know, that's been a huge lesson in my life to, to learn about what vulnerability really is. And just how much of that is just simply admitting and talking about your failure. Um, I just told a story about when I first started um, going through this deconstructing and reconstructing and reformation process in my life uh, five, six years ago, um, that one of the things was to start off by saying, I don't know where I'm going and I don't Mm. know what the answer is. I am... um, it was the first time in my adult life that I ever talked like that and just how many conversations it opened up. It was a, a stunning to me because uh, um, I would sit with other pastors and um, my wife tells me that she saw me cry like three times in her life, you know. Um, yeah. And so I get really uncomfortable in pastoral counseling situations when when somebody else cr- cries. Um yeah. But here they were, they were, for whatever reason, they connected. And um, I've had men cry um, with me in, <laughs> in these times because of simply, which was really strange because we weren't, I wasn't talking about my stories of triumph. I wasn't talking about yeah. my stories of success, but I was talking about this is, these are the ways in which, which I realized that I failed and that I've fallen short, and the, these mm. are the ways in which um, I realize I um, I let my pride or my my other issues hijack God's calling in my life in this other yeah. direction. Yeah. Um, and those were deeply connecting points for me. So I try to practice that. Um, yeah. I try to remind myself every time I preach, mm. um, share your mess. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, don't uh, resist the temptation to resolve this on a nice, beautiful note. Yes. Let God do it, mm-hmm. um, but share your mess. Um, mm. um, so that's a personal practice for me. Um, but also as a community, I think it's deeply healing for us, right? So. You know, um, what is counseling? You know, um, a safe place, right? Mm-hmm. A safe place mm-hmm. in which you can share and begin to kind of put different pieces of your life that you have kept separate. You start to bring them together. Um, and so how do we create that safe place? And I think it has to be a place mm-hmm. in which we feel safe with people's pains mm-hmm. and some being in the middle of their pains yeah. without... Uh, without somebody saying, um, here's the resolution. Right. Trying to cheer them up. Trying Let to me fix give the you this Bible here's passage. Here's some advice. Yes. Give you this. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good, Jen. I, I so appreciate you sharing that um, because I think those are so connected that a culture, like a, a, a person who can just share about their everyday failures is somebody who is going to be more comfortable lamenting, you know, on behalf of a nation, right? For example, um, and a community where it's safe for people to own like the worst parts of themselves will be a community that's able to lament and is able to be wrong. So I, I love that. That's just beautiful to normalize being wrong, 
you know, and you just make it normal and safe for people to just be real about their, about their failures. Yeah. 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 Good. Well, Bishop Todd, you got any final thoughts or words? Something, no, just you to say share? that I, I resonate with what Jen's saying. And um, maybe I can speak for a lot of people in our audience to say that <clears throat> it's certainly hard for me. Like when I read um, Raw saying, you know, the church has never lived up totally to her status as the bride mm-hmm. or the body. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, I, I flashed back to seeing for the first time and I don't know, I think maybe this was in the New Testament and the people of God, or it could have been um, uh, the, uh, Tom's book on covenant, but I just, I don't remember exactly, but I remember the first time I, I read Tom Wright's um, analogy of um, Israel being God's chosen people to be like cosmic first responders, and mm. they themselves had become arsonists. Mm. <laughs> I mean, wow. that's just so sad like i don't even know what to do with it like i don't want to feel those feelings yeah or when raw talked about like what do you do with a sentence like christianity didn't make any difference in the rwandan genocide oh yeah i read that too like, yeah what do you do with that i don't even know what to do with that like i don't want to feel those feelings I, like yeah. i don't even know how to go there it yeah. feels overwhelming you know to yeah. even go there and so i i i'm imagining i'm not the only one for whom you know, these are unpleasant things and we've mm. talked about it. You know, you want to move to joy or victory or, you know, something or the, the, you know, the inherent goodness of the church. And of course it is there. I mean, the last thing I'll say is that I think one of the things that I take away from raw uh, in this chapter four, in terms of like a spiritual practice is to be able to notice that I am both. Um, so I'm, this is a bit off the top of my head. I'm both maybe sequentially or in any given moment, sort of part of the problem and part of the solution. Remember, Chaw kept trying to bring us back to, um, you know, taking on the values of God and the values of Shalom. And he he mentioned um, Psalm 8. And I've just always loved, loved, loved the way Peterson gets this in the message. I'll just read it real quickly. When I look up at your macro skies, dark and enormous, your handmade sky jewelry, moon and stars mounted in their settings. Then I look at my micro self and I wonder, why do you bother with us? Why do you take a second look our way? Yet we've so narrowly missed being gods, bright with Eden's dawn light. And this is a sentence I love. You've put us in charge of your handcrafted world and repeated to us your Genesis charge. So for me, it's like finding a way of living into how do I be simultaneously the problem and the solution. And Mm. I've just come to believe that for somebody like me, who's a bit of a perfectionist and a bit of a fixer, I just have to learn to sit with lament, even when it's not kind of on the surface pleasant. Yes. Yeah. I love the marrying those two things together. It's almost like you you can't really be part of the solution unless you own your part of the problem. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you can also believe the promise that if you own your part of the problem, you become part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Like at that moment, yeah. like that's when that that's when the work begins. Um, is when we can be honest about that stuff. So, yeah, thanks for that. Thank you, Jen, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much, Jen. Great to see you. Well, thank you so much. Great to see you Best guys. Best blessings well. on yeah. workshopping your church plant. 
You yeah, know these, you that know, trick fighters are my heroes. You go, boy. I I love that stage of the process, man. So makes yeah. me uh, think about our five and a half years ago. We were having little meetings in our living room for our little church plant. So, um, well, friends, we've got uh, two two more weeks of this uh, series. Next week, Bishop Todd's going to share some reflections on the final conclusing um, section of this book, uh, Lamentations five. And uh, the week after that, there is uh, some concluding uh, remarks, and then we'll be, I think we'll be into Easter. I can't remember off the top of my head uh, where all the weeks go, but um, anyway, look for, um, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, if you're not on the email list, um, sign up because uh, David Taylor is going to be writing a, um, a liturgy for Stations of the Cross featuring Laura James' artwork that we looked at uh, back in um, February together. And I'm really excited about that. Um, it's something that I'm, we're wanting to do as a church uh, to kind of take our church through the Stations of the Cross. So that's coming soon. Um, if you sign up for the email list, um, there'll be a link in the show notes for that. Uh, then you'll be able to get that resource uh, whenever it drops during Holy Week. So um, Todd, Jin, thanks again for your thoughts and for your time. Thank you, gentlemen. Glad you could Great be with to us you. today. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.